Hello and welcome to the Uncredible Adventures podcast. It's me, Cornelius. So I was at my mum's house this weekend and her and my stepdad were sitting flicking through the Sunday papers. And my mum looked up and she said, oh, that's interesting. They've changed the guidance here on antibiotics. So apparently now, as soon as you start to feel better, you're meant to stop taking the antibiotics that you've been prescribed. And my stepdad perked up and said, no, that's not right. That's not right. You've got to finish the course of antibiotics always. And my mum said, yeah, I know. But they've done this research and they've changed that guidance. And now they're saying it's better to stop taking them as soon as you start to feel well again. And my stepdad said, no, well, they shouldn't be saying that. They shouldn't be saying that. That's misleading. And my mum, the dry wit that she is, said, I don't know why they wasted all that money on the doctors and the scientists and the clinical trials. They should have just asked you. And my stepdad fired straight back and he said, Oh, typical, here we are. You've lost the intellectual arguments and now you resort to insults. <laughs> anyway, welcome back, fans of the show. How's your week been? How's things going? Pleased to see you again. And if you're new, if this is your first time, then I'm really pleased you're here. You've come to exactly the right place. So every week I sit down with a cup of coffee and I tell you a true story. All the stories are different. There's always a different vibe. The only thing they all have in common is that I just want you to enjoy them. I'm telling these purely to entertain you. So for the next 45 minutes, relax, come with me on this journey. Quite a funny one tonight. And as ever, there's nothing going on that's going to offend you. I recorded this week's story a couple of nights ago from the Hilton Hotel in central Cardiff, Wales, from a room that did not have, unfortunately, a castle view. And it's all about the time my car got crashed into by, at high speed, by a driverless car. And the recovery driver that came and insisted that he knew better than the sat-nav in his cab. I've called it, real men don't need sat-nav. I really hope you enjoy it. And if you do, the one thing I'd ask that you can do for me is tell someone about the show. Invite someone to come and listen so that they can enjoy some of these stories too. So until next week, I am Cornelius and this is Uncredible Adventures. If you've ever had your car moved by a manly man, like a a mechanic or or someone similar, then you'll know that there's a psychological piece of warfare that they all seem to like to engage in, which is as soon as they jump in, they'll roll your driver's seat right back as far as it can go on the rails, immediately slam it back themselves so they're sitting somewhere in the back seats. There's no mechanical reason they do this. I'm absolutely sure of it. It is a challenge or it's a dominance display happens to me every time any mechanic or anyone has to get in my car roll the seat right back simultaneously they're telling me that they're much taller than me and at the same time very clearly casting aspersions that i must be a very poor driver if i need to sit that close to the wheel and little pedals for one of these manly men the, the ideal is to do it in front of you and make sure you notice failing that you guarantee that they will leave the seat in that position so that when you get in and you sat halfway in the back you have to do a sort of humiliating scooping your seat forward to get yourself close to the puddle so you can drive off like the little old lady that you are you'll also guaranteed at that point discover that the radio is no longer on radio 4 but i'd be absolutely lying if i said that blokes that know about cars don't make me uncomfortable they do they purposely make me uncomfortable there's a kind of measure your manhood dance that always goes on when you when you meet someone or you meet you know you meet husband of your friend's wife the husband of your friend's wife your wife's friend's husband or someone like that or, or an old friend that you haven't seen for a while and they say things like oh what, what are you driving these days 
back in the days of Jeremy Clarkson on Top Gear, you used to see it all the time with celebrities. Every single episode, they'd have a celebrity on and they'd ask him, oh, what, what car you drive at the moment? And whatever it was, it, it, I've watched a lot of it and it wouldn't matter. Whatever the person said was the car that they drive. Jeremy Clarkson would laugh at them. Oh, you know, it's really embarrassing to drive that car. And the celebrities would do exactly what I do in that situation. They play along. They all pretend to laugh. Yeah, oh, I know, isn't it embarrassing? I don't pay a huge amount of attention to the car that I drive. I've never really got into it. I, I tend to know the make and the model number, but that's not enough, is it? When someone says, oh, what are you driving? And you tell them, oh, it's, you know, tell them the make and model number. It's never enough. They'll always follow up with the question, oh, is that the, uh, is that the Tiptronic egg axle model? And you say something like, oh, I, oh, I don't really know. And they'll say, oh, well, how many valves has it got? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. I've never, I've never actually counted the valves. I've got my own secret weapon, though. See, I don't, don't know much about cars, but I do know a lot about musical lyrics. So when one of these guys tries to start me on these conversations now, I sort of say something like, well, you know, it's got purple fringe taillights, 30-inch fins, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, Palomino dashboard, dual muffler twins. Oh, yeah. I've got new pistons, plugs and shocks. I can get off my rocks. You know that I ain't bragging. And if you've ever listened to the show before, you know that I won't finish that sentence. But actually, car talk usually comes second. The, the number one small talk, after you've, after you've done the weather and how you're doing, is people asking you about your journey, or specifically the route that you took on your journey. Oh, did you come up the A438 across the Hugger Gyratory? And I'd say something like, oh, I don't, yeah, I'm not really sure. Oh, you know, oh, what, did you take the, the Riddleforth Bypass? I really hate that kind of small talk about roads. I've got absolutely no idea. I, I followed the sat-nav, and I say that, I say, oh, I don't know, I just followed the sat-nav. That never puts these people off. Oh, yeah, sat-nav took you up the A77B, did it? I usually, I usually just agree. The, the best way to finish that conversation is just to agree. That tends to shut people up. You just say, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm a massive, massive fan of sat-nav. It absolutely blows my brain. Like, the, the technology came in, and it's one of these things we've had for a long time now, but I still cannot get my head around it. The fact that I can stand in the middle of the street in a strange town and not have any idea where I am. And yet something in a, a, an orbit around the Earth travelling at 100 miles an hour can pinpoint me exactly. It is absolute magic. I can barely remember what we ever used to do before Satnav. I can only imagine it must have been absolute chaos out there. I do remember shortly after I first started driving, it was just before Satnav started to become available, we used to use, I think it was the AA website, AA Route Planner. The early days of the internet, you go on the AA route planner and you put in the postcode you're starting at and the postcode you're finishing at, and it would generate a route, but it wouldn't give you a map. It would give you a list of written directions. So it would say, start from the high street, yep, you know, travel 1.2 miles and take the third left on the roundabout towards Cricket Lane, then travel 0.7 miles and take a right down Badger Road. So you'd, you'd print this out. And you'd take it with you and you'd kind of have it in your left hand as you drove. Or ideally, you'd have a passenger, you'd have someone navigating, but you'd, if not, you're trying to do it on your own. And it was pretty good. You'd be following these directions, which were great, right up until you missed one step. And then you'd be completely buggered. Because there was, there's no, no feedback loop, there's no correction. So if you travel 1.4 miles instead of 1.5 miles and take a right, you're now on the wrong road. 
and the next roundabout you come to, which is you know, at the next roundabout, take the third exit, you're just compounding your problem and taking yourself miles off route. And I, more than once, I definitely got to the point where I went off track on this. I took a wrong turning, compounded it. And then by the time you realize you've gone wrong, you're now quite a few steps beyond where you went wrong. And it's really difficult to try and pinpoint, to try and retrace your steps. You don't know how, how much you have to undo of your journey. I remember following some instructions from friends. They'd moved to a different county and they gave us directions for how to find their house. And they were generally, they were better than the AA route planner directions. Because instead of just giving you street names or, you know, how many turnings off a roundabout you had to take, they'd give you actual landmarks that you could spot. So it'd say things like, at the next turning off to the massive tree that looks like a big H shape. Or the loads of pub names. Oh, when you get to the butcher's arms, it's two more exits past that. And there's a house with a red front door. You need to turn down the side of that. But I do, I've got a very strong memory of getting stuck on one of the directions. Because it, it said, you know, carry on for two or three miles until you come to the old schoolhouse. And at the old schoolhouse, you need to take the next right. I had someone in the passenger seat with me. And we spent the next two or three miles driving, debating whether every building we saw could possibly be an old schoolhouse. What does an old schoolhouse look like? I remember we went past one building site that had all the panel boards up so you can't see it. And we were saying, well, what if they've, you know, what if that building has started since these instructions were written? Yeah, I don't wish those days back. Imagine how much worse it was if you didn't know where you're going, if you didn't have friends that could write you directions, or before the internet. I, I have no idea how people did that. It gives me anxiety even just to think about it. And not to mention no one had mobile phones. You couldn't ring for help, or you couldn't say that you're running late. It sounds like just complete anarchy. And then imagine, suddenly out of nowhere, sat-nav drops. I, I was definitely an early adopter. I bought a Garmin sat-nav very, very early on when the first ones became available for consumers. And this thing was, it was about the size of a brick. And in the middle, it had tiny, about an inch across. It had a little black and white screen or, or green and black screen. It used to take ages to find the signal. So you turn it on and you used to have to sit and wait for sometimes up to 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes waiting for it to find the satellite signal. And it would randomly drop it while you were driving as well. So you'd be driving along and it would drop the signal. And you'd have to just, you'd have no option other than to to try and keep going if you knew where you were going. Or just pull over and wait for, for 10 minutes, 5 minutes for it to find the signal again. It also used to, the screen was, was very small screen, very low definition. And it was very, very slow to update. So while you were driving round a roundabout it would be sort of juddering really slow behind and it was really easy to miss an exit or get the wrong exit. The other, the, the other final annoying thing was that it ran on two AA batteries and it didn't have a charging port. So at some point in the journey, there was a high chance that your batteries would run out. And of course, it didn't happen at the beginning of the journey. It doesn't happen at the part of the journey where you know where you are or where you're close to home. The high chance is always that it's it's right at the end of the journey. It's, it's right where you're near your destination that the batteries would suddenly go. But still, still a massive, what a huge improvement on maps and guessing and smoke signals or whatever the hell people used to do before that. And over time, of course, sat-nav technology got better. It got faster. You got colour screens. They got bigger. Sat-nav, there was a, a period where sat-navs went widescreen, which always struck me as quite a, an interesting 
improvement because TVs at that point were going widescreen. So you can understand where that came from, but actually that's not what you want. You don't care what's at the side of you when you're using a sat-nav. It should have gone long screen. And the wheel of time, of course, turns. And now I can't imagine anything more cringingly fuddy-duddy than having a standalone sat-nav. My father-in-law has one that he gets out of his glove box and he has to dust it off and plug it in before he goes. That's also, in fact, to be fair, that's the same glove box where he keeps his mobile phone turned off and has to take it out and turn it on if he wants to make a phone call. Well, of course, the rest of us were all using Google Maps on our mobiles or Apple Maps. I did use Waze for a time. Waze is very, very clever, but it made me late. It made me late for a really important meeting. I say it made me late. I was late. There was traffic. Something happened. But Waze was the only person with me on that day. And it was also the bearer of bad news. So I truly shot the messenger that day. I got so angry at the traffic and the fact I was late and I got so stressed about this. And because it was Waze that was telling me, I, in my head, absolutely Waze was to blame. It got deleted and I swore that I would never use it again. Of course, the the downside of SatNav, and brilliant as it is, is that I'm completely unskilled at navigating now. I do a lot of driving. I have absolutely no idea what roads I take or where I go past. I just follow the sat-nav, blindly follow it, don't think about anything else, which always puts me at a disadvantage. Exactly like I said, when you meet people and they say, oh, where did you did you come up the A418? I say, I literally got no idea at all. Most of the time, that's only a minor social inconvenience, probably on a par of when you meet someone and they say, oh, did you, did you watch the match last night? And I don't even have any idea who was playing in the match let alone what happened but every now and again it's a bigger problem and causes a bit more chaos in your life like the time a few years ago when we're visiting some friends who lived halfway across the country we'd had a lovely weekend and we were on the way back and we're still a a couple of hours from home i started to feel a little bit tired so we stopped for some food and some coffee at a, a little service area so it was a place off, off an A road. It used to originally be a petrol station and then they'd put on the other side of the car park from the petrol station, they'd built a Starbucks. So we pulled off the road. I parked right out front of the Starbucks and we went inside and we were having a coffee, something to eat. And the door opened and a lady came in and she said, has someone got a black car parked out the front? So I stood up and I said, oh, yeah, it's mine. I said, I think you better come outside. So I came outside and... I couldn't work out what had happened. So my car was still parked where it was, but there was another car that had crashed into the back wing and was sort of resting against the car at a slight angle with no one inside. So there's a few of us us outside looking at this, how a driverless car is, is driven into my car. And I was sort of, I said, what happened? And someone said, I don't know, it just drove across and we, we just looked up at the last minute, smashed into your car. We were really pleased your car was there because otherwise it would have carried on straight through and hit us where we were sitting. And we were all kind of scratching our head trying to work out what where this car's come from and where, where is the driver. When we hear this guy shouting and he's going running across from the petrol station. It's quite a long way. It's about 50 metres or something like that. He's running across from the petrol station and he runs up and it and I'm sort of I've got my front my door open in my car so he can see that it's my car and clearly the other car is his and he says to me he says what have you done what have you done to my car I said to him I don't know I just came outside your car's crashed into it like what 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 are you doing 
And it took us a little while to work out. But what had happened was that he'd gone into the petrol station. He'd forgotten to put his handbrake on, filled up his petrol, gone into the petrol station to pay. And while he was in there, clearly the car was on a, a very slight hill or, or a slight incline and it started to slowly roll backwards probably really slowly so that he didn't notice it while he was filling the car up and walking in but it had come quite a long way and the the slope gets quite a bit deeper as you head towards the starbucks so this car had rolled out of the petrol station right across the car park picking up speed the whole way all the way across the other car park to the point where it smashed into my car it's going quite fast at that point and the guy is absolutely distraught. He looks broken. He he starts to say to me, he says, oh, I do not need this today. He says, I'm going to be getting down to Cornwall to meet my kids. I'm already running late. And there's always a bit of a moment. I've, I've had a few car incidents or things like that over the years. And, I, and I, never, I never get angry about it. I know a lot of people do. They jump out. But really, it doesn't, never helps by getting angry. Um... There's, there's a road rage tip. I can't remember where I heard it, but it really rings true. And it said one of the reasons that we get road rage, the reason that you can get so infuriated, and that even a, a generally peaceful person can, you know, you get cut up or someone pulls in front of you or forces you to break and you get really, really angry and you want to shout at that person. Now, part of it is because you feel safe inside your box and you feel it's a bit like the internet. You can feel like you can comment without having to face someone, Something certainly not face-to-face. But actually, the bigger bit that really chimed with me is this article said that it's, it's because you take it personally. So when someone cuts across in front of your car, you feel like they're doing it to you or they're doing it at you. Or if you see someone driving badly or even if you get stuck behind someone who's driving slowly... You feel like they're driving slowly at you and that it's personal. And the best way to deal with it, and I, I, I've kind of taken this to heart and it now becomes really natural to me, is that as long as you drive with the attitude of that everyone makes mistakes sometimes, some people do drive like jerks, but they don't know you. They've got no idea who's in your car. They've never met you before and you're never going to see them again. So even if someone drives around you sticking your finger up and uh, swerving in in front of you it's not personal they're doing it at the the box you're driving the car you're driving it's not directed at you but anyway yeah i didn't get angry with this guy i said oh look mate you know that's a a pain isn't it but it didn't didn't look too bad my car was a bit dented his was a bit dented but they mostly looked all right so we exchanged details he he wrote down his insurance details and things like that and i wrote my mine down for him and he got in his car he drove it out of the side of my car and like a smashed front light but he drove off looked at my car the the wing was a bit bent but it didn't look that bad I thought look let's let's just get home I'll call the insurance and we can deal with it tomorrow so we finished our coffee we got back in the road piled the kids back into the back of the car drove out drove along the slip road out onto the dual carriageway and the moment that I pulled out onto the dual carriageway and sort of sped up and got some speed I realized that the car was absolutely mashed it was shuddering it was shaking I had to sort of steer the steering wheel half a turn to the right just to go forward all the warning lights were coming on traction control things were flashing inside this whole thing was shaking and it was a part of this a road that had absolutely it had no hard shoulder it had no safe place to pull over a really fast part of the road and I realized I just had to keep going I had to the, the I had to limp this car along sort of driving diagonally sideways 
It was probably the longest stretch of that road there is without a turning, but eventually what came into sight was a little sort of half-hidden, tiny, nondescript lane that's just turning off through some little trees. So it's a hardly hardly used lane. We pulled down there, and I pulled off the lane across a gate that was a field that had some cows in. Got out the car, went to have a look, and I could see at this point, now I was looking at it through more critical eyes, I could see that the back wheel of the car was kind of pointing diagonally into the car, so clearly the the tracking was completely off, and that's why I couldn't drive in a straight line. So I ring the insurance company to say, look, I've had this accident, I need recovery, I can't drive my car. Of course, the first thing they ask is, where are you? Now, I was never going to be able to name the nondescript little country road that I was actually on. But because I de-skilled myself, because I just followed the set nav, I couldn't even name the A road that I was on. But Google Maps was my friend. I managed to look it up. I managed to find the name of the A road. The, the, the little lane I was on was unnamed. So I had to give some really specific instructions, which was there's a Starbucks on your left. If you're going west along this road, there's a Starbucks on your left just after the turning for somewhere else. You drive for about two miles and there's a tiny little country lane. It doesn't have a name, but you spot it and we're parked down there. So they say, OK, no worries. Look, we've we've managed to find a van. It's about 90 minutes away. Are you you know, are you safe? And I said, yeah, we're we're safe. We're going to be pretty bored, but we'll wait here. So. We wait for about an hour and a half, trying to entertain the kids. We go for a little walk around the countryside there. We're looking at the cows that had come over to, to look at my... realise it's absolute sod's law that we'd left the nice comfy coffee house in the service centre two miles up the, ra- up the road, but we weren't going to drive up there. So eventually we see the orange lights. Hooray, the driver's arrived, and this tow truck driver arrives, and he gets out, and he says, Oh, is that the uh, Tiptronic model with overhead cams? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I don't, it's got a badge on the back. You can go and have a look at that. He says, oh, what? what? How many litres is it? I said, oh, I don't know. There's a badge on the back. He goes and has a look. And he says, ah. I said, what's up? He says, this is a hybrid car. I said, yeah, it is. Yeah, petrol and battery. He says, well, I can't tow a hybrid vehicle. Now, I'd been told this once before. I was chatting to someone in a pub and they said, no, you can't tow a hybrid vehicle, mate. And I'd written it off as absolute hogwash because that just sounds completely nonsense. And the reason the person in the pub gave me was they said, well, it charges up through the wheels, doesn't it? And if you tow it, you turn the wheels and you overcharge the battery and you blow the car up. I thought, what a load of nonsense. I never heard anything so ridiculous in my life. But I'll tell you now for sure fact that that is true. Maybe not for every hybrid vehicle, but there are some hybrid vehicles, and I happen to have one, that you have to, you can't tow. So you can't put the two front wheels up and pull it along. You have to take the entire car up and put it on the flatbed on the back of a lorry. So this driver says, sorry, I haven't got the right van. I'll ring back to the rescue and recovery. They'll have to send someone with a flatbed. Another two hours go by that we're sitting trying to keep the kids entertained. A couple of hours go by and my phone rings and it's another truck driver. And he's really annoyed. He says, where is your car? And I said, OK, look, if you're on the if you're on the A, I forget what it was, but you're on this road and you've just gone past this place. There's a Starbucks that you go past and then it's about 2.3 miles from there. There's a tiny little turning on your left. And he says, oh, is that the link road to Munkenville? And I said, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just followed the Zatnav. Anyway, he can't find me, so eventually I have to walk up to the dual carriageway. I've got one of these fluoro vests that I'm holding in my 
arm and I stand up on the edge of the dual carriageway waiting until I see a delivery truck and then start waving my high-vis vest at him and eventually get him, flag him down, he comes down and he gets out the truck and he starts moaning at me and said, why have you come down this lane? What? <laughs> I said, oh, sorry, I didn't have much choice. The car was shaking. I just had to stop. So this guy looks a mess. He's got this blue t-shirt on that's too small for him and his sort of gut is hanging out the bottom of it. He's got some dirty joggers on. He hasn't shaved in a few days. Red bloodshot eyes and scruffy hair. But he's our knight in shining armour. He's come to rescue us. The kids find it really, really exciting watching the the car getting loaded up. Of course, this guy, first thing he does, what's he do? Gets in, looks me in the eye, rolls my seat right back just to let me know that I'm shorter than him and that I'm a terrible driver because I have to sit close to the pedals. But he drives the car up, gets it on the back of his truck. The kids are loving it. They get in the back of his van. I sit up the front with him. And then he gets back up in the van next to him and he looks at his notes. He's looking at my address and he said, oh, dispatch said you live in Bath. I said, no, we don't live in Bath. He said, oh, you live close to Bath. I said, not not massively close to Bath, no. And he looks at the postcode and he says, it's a BA postcode. He said, "That's that's a Bath postcode, right? I said, yes, possibly it is, but we don't live in Bath and we don't live near Bath. We're at least an hour south of Bath. And he just looks at me like I'm a little bit simple. And I hear him muttering under his breath. He says, it's Bath postcode. And he looks back at me and says, what way would you drive from here? Would you take the A4334 up to Wimple across the new post bypass over the B433? I just think, oh, wonderful road talk. Here we go. We'd been waiting for about four hours now with the kids in this lay-by. I just wanted to get home. It was getting late. I thought, I'm not even going to entertain him. I said, I don't know. I just used the sat-nav. He says, all right, does that take you over the A32 to the swing road towards Grumpton? I said, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just used the sat-nav. He says, well, if with Bath we're going to, then we just get on the M4000 and come off at the B6 interchange then. I said, it's not Bath, and I just used the sat-nav. He says, all right, well, I'll tell you what, I'll head towards the R33, and you just shout when I need to turn off. I said, no, please don't do that. Do, I don't know when to turn off. I don't know where I'm going. I just follow the sat-nav. I can't help you. Please just put it in your sat-nav and follow it. And he gave me a look like I'm on a wind-up. You know, he's like, oh, I've had a long day and the last thing I need is you, mate, trying to play practical jokes on me. But eventually he puts this postcode into his sat-nav that's built into the van and it calculates the route and it comes up and he looks at it and he's got like a quizzical look on his face. And he says, this wants to take me along the B443. That's not right, is it? I said, I don't know, but I would follow that sat-nav. He said, I don't think that's right. He said, I'll take the 445 towards Bath. I said, we don't live in Bath. He said, well, it's a BA postcode. (laughs) And with that done, he sets off driving along. And I think, do you know what? I'll leave it to it. He just needs to get me home. I'm going to try and just not talk to him. We've been going about five minutes and immediately starts yawning. And he's, whoa. And he cleared that he wants to talk. And he looks over to me. He says, oh, I wasn't expecting this job. He says, I've been up since four o'clock this morning. I was just about to go to bed. I said, what do you say to that? I... (laughs) he he, he apparently wanted some kind of apology from me but more to the point do I really want someone who's falling asleep to be driving me home I absolutely don't but I also don't want to be sitting now at the side of the road for another two hours and I don't want to make a scene so we carry on 
So we're driving along this road and after about 10 or 15 minutes, the sat-nav is telling him to turn off. And I can see it and I see him look at it and he kind of shakes his head to himself and just ignores it and drives past this junction. And the estimated time of arrival that the sat-nav is saying ticks up by about eight minutes, I think. adds eight minutes on. And he looks at it again and he kind of mutters to himself something. And then after another, you know, 10 minutes, we come coming up to another junction. It's asking him to turn off there. And again, and he looks at it, he says, oh, this wants, me, this wants to take me towards Exeter. That's not right. And he just ignores it and drives past. And again, I think this time it adds 15 minutes on to the estimated time of arrival. Now, I don't like confrontation and I don't like road talk. So the last thing I want to do is to confront this guy and have some road talk and tell him where he needs to go. So I just bite my tongue and think, like, he does this for a living. It's his responsibility now. I don't want to take responsibility for it. I'm just going to sit here trying to ignore him. And it goes on for a bit. It's already getting late. Originally, when we got in the car, I think the ETA, we said we'd get home by about 10.30. It's now about 10.45, and we're starting to approach the outskirts of Bath. And he turns to me, and he says, which part of Bath are you in? And I say to him, not for the first time, I say, we don't live anywhere near Bath. He says, well, it's a BA postcode. That, <laughs> that's my limit. I said, look, I cannot have this conversation anymore. Will you please just follow the sat-nav? Stop talking to me about roads. Stop ignoring the sat-nav. Just do what it says and it will take you to my house. He says, don't be stupid. He says, look, if I follow that, it says it's another hour and 20 minutes away. I said, yes, it is an hour and 20 minutes away because you've been ignoring it the whole journey and now you've driven us to the wrong place. He says, oh, he says, why did you say you lived in Bath? <laughs> I said, just follow the sat-nav. So finally, finally, we get him following the sat-nav and we're headed towards home. At this point, his wife starts calling. And he doesn't put it on speakerphone, he picks it up and he's holding the phone to, this, to his ear. So I can't hear her, but I can only hear him. Just before I go into that, I've told this story to several people over the years. And, and most people say, what? You should have called the police. Like, you should have called the police. You've got this guy who's falling asleep and using, ha using a handheld phone. What is going on? And I wholeheartedly agree with them. But I also know that, look, when you've got your car on the back of a truck and you're it's 11 o'clock at night you've got two small children and you're an hour and 20 minutes from home it's not such an easy decision to make so his phone rings and it's clearly his wife because he picks it up and he's like all right she says something back i can't hear he says well, i know i know he says i hope this sat nav's wrong because it says another hour and 20 minutes and he says i know i know now i'm middle of nowhere and he says no nowhere near bath apparently yeah, I know it's a BA postcode. That's what I said. Anyway, I'll ring you later. So he hangs up and he carries on driving and the next hour and 20 minutes is spent with him alternately taking conversations with his wife who's getting more and more angry and he's having sort of muted arguments with her and getting more and more aggressive with her over the phone. And in between those calls, he's doing stuff to keep himself awake. So he's like winding the window right down and sticking his head half out and slapping himself on his cheeks. Finally, finally, I start to recognise some of the roads and I realise we're getting close to home and I, and I know where we are. And I briefly consider starting to direct him and I think, no, nah, let's not, <laughs> I'm not going to go back on my word. I keep quiet. He gets us 
home, he pulls up on the driveway and he looks at me and he says, this isn't anywhere near Bath. (laughs) Too exhausted at this point, emotionally, physically, mentally, you name it. Too exhausted, so I just say, no, it's not, is it? And we get out the car. He drives the car off the back of his van and parks it up for me. We do the paperwork, I have to sign it. And then the final thing he says to me, he says, oh, I'm heading back to Adlington now. He says, what's the best way from here? Should I go on the A334 up to Shawshank and then get the B444? <laughs> I don't even bother. I say to him, yeah, that's the way I'd go. That's the end of that part of the story, but not the end of the story completely. This is Uncredible Adventures, but I, I, actually everything in this story is entirely true. And it didn't end here. So the car had to go in to be repaired in a local garage and they sent me a courtesy car to drive around in while they were fixing it for the week. And I was driving one afternoon and I started to slow down because the traffic in front of me had stopped and I just looked in my rear view mirror just in time to see but not in time to react to a car coming up behind me way too fast and it drives straight into the back of me while I'm watching it. Quite a, quite a thump on the back of the car and it sort of blasts my car forward so I start to I put my brake on and then it comes into the back of me again and I kind of brake and I stop both our cars and pull over into the side of the road and this car pulls out behind me the car pulls in behind me and this lady got out and she looks like if you made a scarecrow out of pumpkins and sort of carved a pumpkin face and had the pumpkins big pumpkins for the body but kept straw for hair she was barefoot and wild looking and absolutely orange-faced, and she gets out, and she says, oh, my brakes didn't work, I pressed the brakes, nothing happened, I said, oh, that's scary, isn't it, are you, are you okay, though, yeah, everything okay, I said, yeah, right, all right, so again, we, I find myself in the, in the space of a week, I'm sharing insurance details with someone again, so she wrote her name and her address down in my diary, and I wrote her number plate down, and while she was writing that, I took a few co- photos, I took a couple of photos of her car and of my car. And I look at the car and, and where she's gone into the back, it's not a massive amount of damage, but it's kind of knocked the, it's a hatchback and the boot door has been knocked slightly wonky. So it doesn't quite fit and it sits there fine, but I can't lock the car. If you press the lock button, it just won't, it just won't lock. The whole car won't lock, I think, I guess, because something's jammed at the back. But I drove home and I rang the insurance company and I tried to explain what had happened. I said, look, I've just been hit by someone. I've got all the details. Here we are. And we're going through all the questionnaire and things like that. And this lady from the insurance company who obviously lives in, you know, a bit of a dodgy part of London or something. She's saying, is the car secure? And I say, well, I can't lock it, actually. It won't lock because of this thing with the boot. She said, oh, you can't leave the car unattended then. I said, don't worry, it'll be all right. She said, no, it won't. She said, you, you know, you, you people, someone will get in that car. You've got to, you don't leave it unattended. Clearly thinking of where she lives, not this sleepy Dorset village where I promise you it wasn't a concern. But all is well and good. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I think, you know, a day later, my original car is ready. So they come and come and take this, this second car that I've crashed away from me and give me my original one back. And then I get a phone call about a week later from the insurance company and they say we've we've followed up but the driver that hit you there's no record of insurance so we've checked and the name and address matches the car number plate 
but they haven't got any insurance recorded. I say, all right, okay, so what happens now? And they said, well, in the first instance, we need to report it to the police, but you're the driver, so you need to make a police report. So I called the police in Dorset, and I explained what happened and where I had the accident and tell them the, the name and address of the lady. And they say to me, ah, she's in Wales. He said, we, we can't pursue that. We, you know, we're not going to drive up to Wales to go and knock on this lady's door. You need to report it with the, the local police force where she lives. So I, I looked them up and I called the police force where the lady lived, told them the story, and clearly they were not interested. And the guy says, oh, it's not really a criminal matter. You need to deal with it through your insurance company. So the police aren't interested in taking any action. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm talking to the insurance company and the insurance company say, OK, we're going to we're going to do a civil prosecution. We're going to take her to court. But luckily, I don't need to be there. They said, no, we just we've got your you know, you, you re- we've got your statement. You've recorded it. You've got photos. I've got p- pictures of her in the photos because she's in the background. And they so they take her to court. The, de- the date gets set. They take her to court. She doesn't show up. I have another phone call with the insurance company saying, oh, she didn't show up. I said, well, what happens now? He says, oh, well, they don't, they wouldn't do a judgment when she's not there. And they've had no communications from her at all. So we just go back to the drawing board. I said, so what do we do now? And they said, oh, well, we'll just try and set another date and get her to come to court again. So they set a second date. And again, she doesn't respond to the summons and she doesn't show up. And... I say, what now? And they say, oh, we're going to do it another time. So they set another court date. She doesn't turn up. And I and I remember I talked to the insurance company. I said, what happens now? And they said, oh, that's it. We'll just leave it. We, we, won't, we won't bother pursuing it. Which boggles my brain. That Did you know that? If you just don't turn up at court, you can get away with it. Anyway, this has been going on. This goes, this is now about six months later from the accident because it's, it's always been, you know, a couple of months that they've, booked it in and then she didn't show up and then a couple of so about six or seven months later an insurance company ring me and they say right there's an uninsured driver fund which all the insurance companies can access and you use it in a situation like this where you get hit by an uninsured driver so we're going to make an application to that to cover the cost of the accident but first as part of that we need to prove that you have an interest in the car I said, what does that mean? I said, well, it wasn't your car, was it? I said, no, it's a courtesy car that had come from a garage that was fixing my car that had been driven into by someone else. They said, right, so what we need is a letter from that garage that owns the car to confirm that they are the owners and they're interested. They have an interest in the car and they they need to use this prosecution to, to pay for the repairs on the car. Only they look it up and the car, the, the company that had rep- was repairing my car and who owned the courtesy car has gone out of business in the meantime and liquidated so they can't contact anyone there. So finally it comes full circle back to me and I have a conversation with the insurance company and they say we don't have any choice but we have to record this as an accident where you're at fault and treat it as if you've made a claim on your premium. So there you are, went on my record as an incident and went as something that had been claimed against my insurance and affected me for years to come on more expensive insurance that's not a happy story i don't don't know what that story is but i learned a hell of a lot that day the police weren't interested in 
contacting this lady or, or doing anything about her not her not having insurance. And apparently, yeah, if you just don't turn up to court for a civil matter three times, they just give up pursuing you. I've said it before, don't take legal advice from a podcast. That is it, though, for this week. This has been Uncredible Adventures. I am Cornelius. Thank you so much for listening. I needed to get that off my chest. If we ever meet in person, please don't ask me how I got to the place we are. If you ever have to drive my car, please don't roll my seat right back just to prove what a man I am not. And if we ever meet in person and you ask me what car I got, I'm just going to tell you it's a black one. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. I'll be back next week with a completely different story. Until then, this has been Uncredible Adventures.